Prisini crucis deremicis nostris, liber nostris noster. In nomine patris et filiates for the sancti. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for you. As always, we begin our prayer focusing our attention on the Blessed Sacrament. And the Blessed Sacrament is always, at least intuitively, the best explanation of the words of Jesus, the value of the ordinary, a lesson in humility, a lesson in self-gift. And as we begin, we want to look at the Eucharist with more attention, more love, especially the topic being vocation. It's a good way to start. Go back to the basics. And the model of vocation is the Holy Eucharist. It's this presence of Jesus in the world. He's totally present in the middle of the world through the tabernacle, through the Blessed Sacrament. And the Blessed Sacrament also offers us the goal. What is holiness? Holiness is always Eucharistic because the saint in this life, he or she can't say it, but they can get close. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. That Christ's presence is a full presence. It's analogous to the Eucharist, obviously, but very similar. As we begin, we always entrust special occasions to the Blessed Mother so that these days be an occasion, a means for conversion. And when we ask that favor from the Mother of God, who is our Mother as well, how can she say no? You who are moms, when your children ask for good things, you can't say no. That's why your kids ask you and not the dad. We also invoke the Holy Spirit because the task of the Holy Spirit is to help us penetrate the words of Jesus. And his work is a work of conversion and transformation. He brings us deeper and deeper into the life of our Lord. It's a little bit of a mystery, but it's an integration of the grace of God and our freedom. Grace and freedom are the key ingredients to be holy. We will be as holy as we want to be, even though without the grace of God, we can't progress one iota in holiness. But God in his infinite love for us 
He gives us the grace to desire holiness, banking on our freedom. Lord, what do you want us to see as we bring this topic virtually every time we pray, every time we contemplate our Lord? Jesus defines our vocation immediately, though he doesn't use the word. His first sermon, that celebrated Sermon on the Mount, he reveals the new law in the form of the Beatitudes. He perfects the old law and doesn't change it, but radically adds to it. And the new law is the heart of Jesus. You could look at it from a lot of angles. The Beatitudes look at it from eight angles. Poor in spirit, meekness, mercy, long-suffering, purity, peacemaker, all these different components of the face of our Lord. And so he has this huge crowd of people, he's on a mountaintop, and says, this is the vision, this is the program. And we turn to our Lord, asking him as best we can, help us, help me, look at your words, which are spirit and life that are meant to be incarnated with a newfound eagerness. Help me take your words personally because they're meant to be personal. That's one of the perks of being God. He could say something over 2,000 years ago and think about us totally, profoundly. He is infinite infinitely loving. Paul, heavily illuminated by the Holy Spirit, says that God had already planned our vocation before the actual creation of the world. There's no time with God, but there's time with us. So, at least from our perspective, Billions and billions of years ago, God thought about our creation and our call to holiness. It boggles the mind. There's no billions of years with God. Everything's an eternal now, as St. Thomas Aquinas says. How do you want me to focus? The Holy Father, in his exhortation, exultate, glorificate, and holiness. He says something very profound and so true. Holiness is the most attractive face of the church. We are called to be holy by living our lives with love and by bearing witness in everything we do wherever we find ourselves. Lord, help me unpack these words. 
Let's read words of our father, St. Jose Maria, and forge. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, that is our task. So my child, be generous. Do not be anxious to know any of the many reasons he has, he has to want to reign in you. If you look at him, it will be enough for you to consider how much he loves you. You will feel a hunger to correspond to his love, crying aloud that you really love him here and now. And you will understand that if you don't leave him, he won't leave you. St. Maria says that our vocation, though you could write books about it, can be summarized by a soundbite. Sowers of peace and joy. It sounds kind of attractive. It is attractive, it's not sort of. But this implies a lot of homework. A lot of work behind the scenes. Because joy and peace are one of the many definitions of Christ. In fact, joy is the first definition of Christ, at least in the Gospel of St. Luke. And then in Jesus' last encounter here on earth with his apostles, in the Last Supper, joy again becomes that prominent description that he gives of himself. And then the second prominent description, both at the beginning and at the end, is peace. Sowers of peace and joy. What does that mean, Lord? Academically, I know what it means. He says, I'm called to leave others who surround me tall order, more joyful and more peaceful. That's what that means, I think. I mean, how do you sow peace and joy unless you leave others more joyful and more peaceful? The life of Blessed Alvaro is fresh in my mind because uh, a couple of weeks ago I was asked to give a meditation on his life, on his feast day. And the work is on uh, May 12th the eve of Our Lady of Fatima, very appropriate. And I needed to just turn my meditation into one anecdote after another. Well, the life of a saint is always the life of Christ, so you, you get away with it. And I remember one of the, I don't know if I shared that one, but it's not really an anecdote, kind of a collective experience when I lived in Rome, it was, uh, those were pretty busy years academically. And also where we had our the, the seminary required a lot of finishing touches, painting, repairs, electrical work, artistic work. And it was about 200 young men all with diverse professions. So you had your engineers there, you had your artists there, and uh, people who 
didn't have advanced degrees, were the manual laborers, and the younger ones were the manual laborers. I was a manual laborer. Grass needed to be cut, trees needed to be planted, and it, it was sort of like a, it's like a small village. It's a lot of grass, a lot of trees. And that used to be my summer work as well, landscaping. And we would have, on special occasions, we called him the father then because he was the one in charge, we'd have get-togethers with him. Pentecost, and Sundays, not every Sunday. He was out of town a lot. And one of the tougher contradictions living there, and would happen, I would say, 10% of the time, where you expect the get-together with, now we'll call him Blessed Alvaro, about an hour get-together in the middle of Sunday morning. And then it would be called off. And we had to go back to studying. You know, as we know, study could be a very painful penance. Invariably, it would kind of produce a glum mood. We're not supposed to be in bad moods, but you know, we're human. And the collective cheerfulness would diminish significantly with that disappointing news. And I reflected, well, you know, what's the big deal? Did we know he was going to be beatified? He never, he wasn't like Saint Jose Maria, who was very spontaneous and with a lot of emotional variation. You know, he could get indignant, he could almost start to cry, he could be really funny, and answering questions with lots of sound bites of going through a lot of questions. So, you know, it was kind of fun. Where Blessed Alvaro was very monotone, and every question was answered with a very elaborate answer. He was an engineer, and his answers were very engineerish. And I realized, well, he was a sower of peace and joy. And it wasn't just, okay, well, a little bit biased towards him. That could be true. But other people who knew him admired his smile and his peace and joy. And trust me, this is not very common. When he would go to the Synod for Bishops in Rome, I read it, during the recess, Usually you're mixing it up and catching up on news and things like that. He would be pulled aside by them for confession. And when we would see him, I would say the experience was peace and joy. He would sow peace and joy. And if you say, well, did he say anything bombastic? No, anything, you know, super insightful? Yes, but in his style. And we just were disappointed that we didn't have him with us. We enjoyed it. It helped everybody. And you know, you're promised this get-together, and now it's called off. So our Lord defines this vocation, and especially in our culture, every culture, but our culture that is very individualistic, and now we're afflicted with a craze for activity. We're overly programmed. 
our schedules can be packed. I'm not saying that this is all part of good time management. Supernaturally speaking, it's bad time management. The Martha syndrome was identified by our Lord, and our Lord called her on it. But this requires, this sower of peace and joy requires a lot of interior life. That's what I meant by a lot of homework. Because our vocation is to have an effect on others. I mean, that's how he defines it. You could almost summarize it. I'm going to read his words. But it's to have an effect on others. He doesn't say, he doesn't talk about individual discipleship. He talks about having an effect on others, and that says it all. He never defined himself as salt. And that's the first, yeah, this is the first definition of vocation, where he spells it out. You are the salt of the earth. And then he's going to talk about light. But let's look at the salt. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? We know that our Lord never said, I'm the salt of the earth. We could ask in his presence, Lord, why didn't you say you're salt? Because the emphasis here is on freedom. The emphasis here is to decide to be united to Christ because the salt is a sharing in the life of Christ. Because what does salt do? Those who are on bland diets know what it's like not to have salt. Salt brings out what is best in the food. It converts the food from something bland into something tasty. It brings out the very best in lamb. It brings out the very best in a pasta. It brings out the very best in French fries. I don't know. Maybe not, okay? And if you have high blood pressure, you know, resist that temptation to put salt on your fries. That's what it does. And it's a great image because Let's say you, have, you put salt on whatever, you know, your hamburger or your chicken, and it remains the same. You're going to say, well, this is not working. This is useless. Because salt in itself, unless it's salty, is something you cast aside. That's why our Lord never used that one. Salt in itself is not better than the steak or the potatoes or the, the chicken. But because it has saltness, it's very useful. What is the saltness? It's the life of our Lord in us. How does that happen? With my plan of life, with my piety. When our Lord talks about vocation, he talks about piety because it is an overflow. Whenever sanctity is genuine, it overflows its vessel to fill other hearts 
other souls with its superabundance. Forgot to read an important couple of lines here. We, the children of God, sanctify ourselves by sanctifying others. Is Christianity spreading to those around you? Consider this every day. Christian vocation is having an effect on others. Now our Lord does use another example. First he starts with salt. Salt can lose its saltness. No interior life. Or sometimes, you know, we're... Yes, it's much better to do the rosary than not do it. But with that being said, at least if I don't do it, and there's no moral obligation to do it, but I want to be a saint, it's better to go to Mass than, maybe distractedly, than not go to Mass. I'm talking about weekday Mass. But there's an advantage of not saying the rosary over, saying the rosary one day after another routinely. Or there's, you know, there's a, you know, a relative advantage of not going to Mass and going to Mass, but not missing the going routinely. Because this is all about these norms of piety being rendezvous with our Lord. And what does that mean? That I am really seeking Him. He is the paradigm of my vocation. And I don't, ju I don't judge well, how the Holy Spirit's working. I can't do that. That's a mystery. But I can judge, with the grace of the Holy Spirit as well, whether I'm really seeking Him. And then we throw in the punctuality, we throw in the slowing down, whatever it is. And so our Lord says, you are the light of the world. And that's what He applies. He's the light of the world. And the only way we can be light of the world is if His light dwells in me vis-a-vis piety. Mary, you are the model. We have to do analogously what you did literally. Through my yes, through my seeking your son, I've got to bring him into the world. You, that's what Mary did. She brought him into the world. I need to do the same thing in concentric circles, first with my family, and then my friends, and then my acquaintances. Out of a hundred souls, I'm interested in a hundred. Mary, you put these sentiments in your hands. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.